Well, hello, Harvest Community Church. So good. I came back from a foreign land, far away, a place with no razors. <laughs> and it's, I'm so glad to be here. I, I am not going to go into details or stories. I, I'm going to look for an opportunity to tell some stories because I had a great visit. My wife and I did, and Big Fred was there too. In fact, he's, he's not home as I'm speaking, but he will be soon. But I do want to say this, could not be more proud of our team and of those families. We have three families over there, plus Elijah, um, and, and they're doing great, and I couldn't be more proud of all of them. We really sent some of the, the best. We sent our best caliber people. They're loving God, and they're doing the work. And I also want to share this, um, uh, through the... the Without going into detail of how we do the ministry there, we're aiming for Muslims, okay? And there's a lot of Muslims in this place, and, and um, uh, through the team and the way we work, I'm going to give you some quick numbers. In, 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 in last year, the gospel was shared with, get this, I'm not kidding, 10,000 Muslims. 10,000 Muslims, one-on-one. Okay, it gets better. 380 of those last year were baptized and are currently in a Bible study. 380. Because a year ago, 380 people were under the, were in sin, lost in sin with no hope, except Islam, which doesn't give you any hope, and they've been born again, and they are living in the very villages, and many of them are paying a high price. Some are getting beaten, put out of their homes, marriages destroyed because they follow Christ. But they are set free, and God's doing a work in that. And you have a part in that. These three families from Armstrong County are over there doing the work, and you sent them. Okay, so, so, so this is something to be excited about. When you, it, it, you may do nothing but tithe. And a portion of that goes there. You may do more. You may pray for them. You might encourage them. But you have a part in that. And if we didn't do this, they wouldn't be there. And maybe that doesn't happen. Also, I got to see a school. We did not intend to do anything with a school. But when we got there, we have a friend who became a good part of our, really part of our team to help us do what we do. And we're helping him do what he does. He had about 90 students in his yard in a, in a, in a metal corrugated shack that he was teaching. And teaching is a good way to reach people because they will send you their kids, the poor will, no matter what their religion, and most of them are Hindu, and if you'll teach them English and you'll teach them. Um, well, because of you and, and us and money we put over there, I got to see the school that they've built. It's no longer in the yard. It's a, it's a school that's going to be three stories. Right now it's one story. And they're starting school, and they have a full registration of 200 plus 30 overflow. And they're going to learn, and they're going to hear the gospel every day. And that also is due to your contribution. And I wish I could uh, take you all over there. I wish you could see it yourself. Um, I have pictures. <laughs> but for now, I'm, just, I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to be there. Uh, we praise God and thank God for what he's doing. Uh, there is good, good things happening in the world because of the gospel. And that's really what I want to get to. Um, our text today is in John, the 14th and 15th chapter, but I want to start out with a blessing from Romans 15. Romans 15 is the end of, the, obviously, the end of the book of Romans. There's 16 chapters. It's near the end. And, and Paul gives a blessing to the people. I guess he's getting near the end of his letter, and he just wants to say, bless you. Uh, they didn't sneeze. This is a real blessing. And, and it says, did you get that? Didn't sne- Forget it. You've got to be on your game when I'm back, all right? It's... <laughs> and here's the blessing he says. It's from Romans 15, 13. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. What a great blessing. If Paul stands over you and says, may the God of hope, we all need hope, fill you up with what? With joy and peace in your faith so that the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're just, hope is just spilling out of you. That's a very positive blessing. Who wouldn't want that blessing to be true in their life, 
right? Now, this comes at the end of the book of Romans, and Rome is a very difficult place. And one way to be a Christian, sin is rampant in, in Rome. And uh, I mean, all kinds of weird, decadent sin. I don't know if you ever saw Caligula. Don't watch it. But if you did, you know, it's a mess over there. And, and not only that, it, 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 they, they're beginning to not like Christians. They consider Christians atheists because they won't worship the Roman gods. They say Jesus is Lord. It won't be long after this till they'll be feeding them to lions and, and such. Paul would have his head chopped off in Rome for being a Christian shortly after this. And yet in the midst of that mess, Paul says, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing. Is it possible in a world of pain, difficulty, sadness, sin, and chaos to have joy? Uh, We live in a strange time in America, Uh, right? Am I right? Is it not strange out there? Um, everything is up for grabs. Truth is no longer true. Truth is whatever I say is true. It was great to be on the other side of the world where they still haven't gotten confused about what a man and a woman is. (laughs) If you're over in India, everything's segregated. So when you go through security, there's a women's line and a men's line. And... um, and I was thinking, in America, they wouldn't know what to do with that. They'd be like, which is my side, you know. But apparently, the Indians already know. In, in, in America, we've, we've gotten nuts. We're nuts. There, and, and, and there's an ugliness to, to life here. There's a, there's a brutality. We've gone from being, I think, a polite culture in many places to a, a vicious culture. Uh, we're very can be unkind to one another. Sin is rampant, um, and then we have fears of wars and disease and what happens next. And it's the whole world, really. The whole world is going nuts. Uh, the whole world is in upheaval. Uh, even India. Uh, I won't go through their challenges because we're not there. We're in America. We have our own challenges. People often wonder: Are we living in the last days? I think we are. I think we are, and, and I could give a long explanation of that, but then I'd lo- use all, all my sermon time. But there are certain things happening in the world that's never happened before, never been able to happen before. Like on Twitter, I can translate any other language now. I can, I can follow tweets from people in Iran, which I've been doing, because uh, I want to see what the Iranians think of what's going on. It's very interesting. It's much different than the news. You can do that. You can go and say, translate this tweet, boom, and it'll show you what they're really saying. You can do it in any language. You know, we have, we have the ability to have a, a worldwide money system now. A lot of people thought, well, there's got to be a one-world government at the end of time. Well, there doesn't have to be a one-world government. The Bible never says there's a one-world government. It just says there's a one-world money system. Much easier to pull off than a one-world government. You can imagine a one-world money system, couldn't you? I mean, I go over to India, I put in my ATM card, and I get out rupees. I don't have to do the math or nothing. I mean, we're, we're very close to this sort of thing, and we have a godlessness that's, that's overtaken the whole world. The exaltation of man is upon us, the exaltation of nothingness. I do think we're in the, in the, in the very end, but if we're not, we're a lot closer than we were. So I may live to see the second coming of Christ. You may too. But even if not, you're closer than you used to be. And here's what we know about the end times. We're promised by Jesus that things get worse, not better. He says it's like birth pangs, the beginning of birth pangs. Now here's the thing about birth pangs. They they increase in frequency, intensity, and pain. You never hear a woman say, well, I had a contraction, but don't worry, the next one won't be so bad. They get worse and they get closer together. Jesus said at the very end, it will be worse than any time that has ever been or ever will be on the earth. You may live through that or something like that, right? That could be your fate to see what that's like. In any case, I think even a lot of Christians are having trouble not getting mean. You know, we, we, we're tempted to get just as mean as everybody else. We can get fearful like everyone and everyone else. I guess the question is, the, the blessing of Romans chapter uh, 15, verse 13, is that for us today? Is it possible to have joy and peace and hope 
no matter what's happening in the world you live in, in this crazy world? Or do we have to bite our nails and worry about the future like everybody else? Well, of course it's possible. In the next four weeks, we want to look to the Bible and see God's answer to that question. And, and so today, we start with John chapter 14. And I'm going to take 1, 2, 3, 10, 11, 12, 13, five verses. <laughs> I have to use my fingers. I'm good with math. We're going to take uh, John 14, 27, and 15, 10 to 13. Now, this entire uh, portion of Scripture from John chapter 14, 15, 16, is, and 17 is all one piece. It's, the, it's called the Upper Room Discourse. It's very long. It is the, 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 the teaching Jesus did the night he was arrested. It's a very important teaching. It, it instructs the, the followers of Jesus how to live after he rises from the dead and is gone into heaven. And, but we don't have time to do the whole thing, so I'm just going to pick five verses um, that go with the flow here. Just take, just take a couple of portions. So if you'd read with me from John 14, 27. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. See, he's planning to leave. He's planning to leave. The apostles don't know that on the, on the Last Supper. They don't know it's the Last Supper. They think it's another supper. If they had named it right then, they'd say, let's call it another supper. Jesus said, no, this is the Last Supper. But they don't know that, right? He's gonna, he didn't really say it's the Last Supper. But we know it's the Last Supper because he's leaving. But he's going to leave something behind. Peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now I want to jump to chapter 15, verse 10 to 13. And if you're wondering about the few verses in between, feel free to read them. You'll see it's the same flow of ideas. But I just want to focus on the next segment. Verse 10 of 15. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in His love. If you keep my commandments, you'll live inside my love. This is what he's saying. Jesus says, you can live inside my love just like I live inside God the Father's love. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Put my joy in you and your joy fills up. Probably, Jesus has so much joy, he can fill oceans. You and I probably just need about a thimble for So I'll put mine in you and you're gonna overflow. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. So that's our text. In this text, Jesus offers us two gifts. Jesus gives two gifts to us in this text, right? The first one is peace. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. That's a gift. He's leaving, and he's leaving peace. This is the night of his betrayal, um, this is the night when he's arrested. This is the night when Judas kisses him and he goes, this is, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And then the soldiers take him and, and, and then the bad stuff starts. He goes through three trials. He's beaten and he's taken to a cross. He knows that that's coming. He knows it's coming because shortly after this speech, he goes out and prays, remember that? And he sweats blood because he realizes he has come to die for the sins of the world. The innocent one takes on the guilt of all of us. He knows how stressful this is. He knows it's like putting olives in a press and just shoving it down until the oil comes out and that he's the olive. He knows that he is the Lamb of God who must take on the sins of the world. He knows he's going to have the worst night and day of his life starting tonight. And still in the midst of that, he is relaxed, I guess, and he just says, I give you my peace. He, he, if you remember the story we, we just heard from Mark, Jesus is sleeping on the boat on a storm. And, and this, this seems to be, he's in a big storm, but he's chill. He's chill. He's thinking about us. He's thinking about his apostles. He's going to go to the cross. And when he goes to the cross, he's going to win peace. Now, when he says, I give you my peace, what's he talking about? Well, Jesus gives us two kinds of peace. The first kind is he takes away war between you and God. We just had Christmas, right? Christmas verse. 
The angels come and say, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. For unto you this day in the city of David is born a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And, and what's he bring? He brings peace between God and with men with whom he is pleased. Not everybody. There's not peace with everybody. And he doesn't say, I bring peace between nations or peace between man and man. He says, I bring peace between you and God. So we're at war with God by nature. By nature, we're sinners. And so the main peace he brings through his cross is he reconciles us to God. But I don't think that's the peace he's talking about in this text. I think he's talking about shalom. Shalom. You ever hear shalom? Jews say shalom to each other. Uh, Muslims say salam, means the same thing. They just don't like the letter H as much, I guess. Shalom. Shalom shalom means well-being. It means peace, meaning emotionally you feel kind of calm. It means physically you feel well. It means you are fine. You're safe. All is good. Shalom. And, and I think in this context, that's what he's saying he leaves them. He's about to leave them in a very turbulent time. They're going to freak when he gets arrested. They're going to run and hide. If they took him, we're next. And they're going to have to figure out, how do we do life without him? He, he messed up our whole lives, turned everything upside down when he left. We don't know how to do the Jesus thing without the Jesus. And he says, don't worry. I'm going to give you my shalom. But he gives us a contrast. He says, not as the world gives. So Jesus wants us to compare his peace with the world. Well, what's, how does the world give peace? How do you get peace in this world? Well, it's momentary, isn't it? It's fleeting. Um, it's, well, sometimes you just take drugs, right? Some people just, why do, why do people just get hooked on drugs? They want peace. It doesn't deliver, though, does it? Because it, the drugs wear off. It wasn't really peace. It was kind of fuzzy. Or you, you take a bath, <laughs> right? You see the commercials? Mom's stressed out. Everyone's screaming at her. And she goes, Calgon, take me away. She's going to take a bath, and she gets peace. I met, I met a couple of Buddhists, uh, white Buddhists, Right, white American, white Western Buddhists. Let's call them that. Um, so they didn't look like Buddhists. That's what I'm saying. Only well, he's not like most Buddhists over there. Look, um, this one guy from Germany gave up his whole life to just travel Tibet and all around India and everywhere, just so he could meet different gurus. Because so, he's into Buddhism. Forty years he's been doing. Thirty something years. He seemed kind of chill, kind of mellow. You know, kind of patient. Got a feeling I could step on his toe, and he'd probably put up with that a little longer than most people. He's got the Buddha thing down, man. He's been hanging with the yogis or whatever. But he's still, at about 70 years old, chasing more yogis, more swamis, more people to teach him how to be peaceful. That's the best he's got. Giving up his life to run around mountains to talk to, to men in robes who will tell him how to relax. That's the best. This world doesn't give much peace, does it? And if you have it, it doesn't last. You ever have a moment where you just feel at peace? Some of you say, I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) When I have those moments, I have them, I think, try to remember this moment when things get stressful. Now, the best peace the world offers is the grave, they think. Someone dies, what do they say? Rest in peace. And some people think that's the only way out. That's the only way to peace. But you know what? There's no peace in the grave. There's no mercy in a grave. Because it's appointed to man once to die, then judgment. There's no peace in the grave either. There is no peace as the world gives peace. Jesus is promising a different kind of shalom. He's promising the indwelling Holy Spirit. And that's worth your study, but we're not going to do it today. But if you read this upper room discourse that we're in the middle of, you'll see the Holy Spirit is the power for everything. John chapter 14, 15, 16. 
The second gift, after he gives peace, Jesus promises to give joy. Joy. Those are nice gifts. If you have those two gifts, do you need anything else? You might think you do, but you don't. Well, I'd like, a, I'd like some money, too. The reason you want the money is you think it's going to give you peace, safety, and joy. So you won't even need the money anymore. Joy. He says, I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. So what does he use to give me joy or you joy? Words. I spoke so you can have joy. And not just any old joy. (laughs) Joy that's full. And when we think of joy, think of joy in the best possible sense. I think Christians want to make joy into something that's not that much fun. Because I've heard them throughout my life. Um, people say, God doesn't want to make you happy, which I never understood that. I think the entire point of the Bible is God making me happy. I do. I mean, uh, am I reading the wrong Bible? The way it ends in my Bible is he saves me, he takes me to heaven, I get to see him, and I get to enjoy him because he's glorified me, and he lavishes his goodness on me for eternity. That seems like I'm pretty chipper. He's like, no, he doesn't want to make you happy. That's so selfish. He wants to give you a deep joy. And then they'll sit and try to compare happiness versus joy. We don't just have happiness. What do we have? We have joy. And, and I'm sitting there, and, and, and as a young Christian, I'd hear these things. I'm thinking, I think I'd rather have happiness. Because this Christian joy seems like it's so deep down, it never reaches your face or your heart or nothing. We have an abiding joy. They like, tell your face. Now, I think when Jesus says joy, he means joy in all its fullness. Joy. Don't try to be too smart for joy. To be fair to those people, I think what they're really trying to say is he doesn't, he's not trying to make you into a worldly hedonist. He's trying to give you something better. And if they said it like that, I would agree. <laughs> but they don't, so that's that. Um, Here's the, here's, here's, here's the question. He says he gives us peace and joy. Are you overflowing with peace and joy, Christian, every day? Or are you stressed out, anxious, worried, biting your nails, wondering? In other words, how do we access the, if God gives us this gift, if he pro, and he promises the gift, Well, I think we have to be honest and say, look, Jesus said, I leave you peace. I give you joy. That means they're available to you, but that does not mean they're automatic. Like anything else given to us by grace, we must participate somehow. So let me ask ask it this way. What condition do you think the Holy Spirit puts on us to receive the joy and peace? If I'm going to receive this gift of joy and peace that Jesus gives, what do I have to do? What condition does the Holy Spirit put on me? Well, I think the first, if you ever ask Christians a question like, what should you be doing? We're conditioned to say, I need to read the Bible more. And then we can all feel guilty because we don't read the Bible enough. And I'd say, no, that's not the condition. Should you read the Bible? Absolutely you should. But that won't bring you joy or peace. Who will get in trouble on that one? You can quote that one, put it on Facebook. Let the Facebook Pharisees rip Pastor Mike. I don't mind. They do it anyway. That's why I'm not on Facebook. I don't have to listen to them. <laughs> Haters going to hate. Next you go to prayer. Time alone in prayer. Is time alone in prayer going to bring you joy and peace? Answer, believe it or not, is no. Now, am I saying there's no joy when you read the Bible? I'm not saying that. There's no peace when you read the Bible. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you think those are the conditions, if you do just those two things, you'll receive the joy and peace of God. I'm saying you won't. Those are, and I'm going to show you from the text. And I'll just tell you right now, it's on our map. The key to experiencing peace and joy from God in this difficult world is loving others. Loving others. 
I'm going to argue that without loving, you cannot abide in Christ's love. You should read the Bible. But why? Because it shows you how to love and teach you what love is. But then if you don't love, you won't have the joy and you won't have the peace. Look again at our text. Verse, chapter 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, says Jesus, you will abide in my love. It doesn't say if you read my Bible, you'll abide in my love. Now, you should read the Bible. That's where we learn about him. It doesn't say if you pray. You should pray. That's not what he says. He says if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. Now, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another. So this is like a sandwich, right? Keep my commandments because you love me. You'll have joy. Keep my commandments because you love me. It's like a little sandwich there, right? The meat is love. The bread is keep my commandments. <laughs> Let's follow the, follow the logic. Follow the logic. If your scripture's open, that'll help you. It's always good to have a Bible and open your Bible because times like this, it'll help you follow because um, here's the logic. What is the commandment of Jesus according to verse 10 and according to verse 12? What is the commandment of Jesus according to verse 10 and according to verse 12? What is it? Love one another as I have loved you. That's the command, right? What is the result of doing this according to verse 10? If you do this, you'll abide in my love. Commandment, love one another as I have loved you. If you do it, you'll abide in my love. Why is Jesus telling us this according to verse 11? That my joy may be in you. Do you see the logic of Jesus, your Savior? Obey my command to love one another. If you do this, you'll abide in my love. And the reason I'm telling you this is so you can have my joy. Based on that, I'm telling you, the joy in the midst of hardship, the first and most important thing to get is you need to love like Jesus. That's where joy is going to come from. It's not going to come because your solitary Bible reading makes you a monk. And you pray better than the rest of us. It's not going to come because your personal holiness, you're better at not sinning than the rest of us. The Bible is a joyful thing if your heart has the right attitude. Otherwise, it's a pain in the neck. The Bible is joyful if you want to love God and you want to do what he says and you want to love people. Then the Bible becomes a happy place. If you don't, it's just one more thing you don't do right. Love is how you stay sane in a deranged world. And not getting love, giving. I'm gonna unpack this a little more, but first I want you to understand the stakes. If we are in the end times, Jesus is clear that the end times are characterized by many things, among them the diminishment of love among the human race. Jesus says, Love will diminish among humanity when the end comes. I'm going to show it to you right now from Matthew 24, 12 to 14. This is a whole section is on the end times. If you want to have some fun, read Matthew 24 and 25. And here he says in verse 12 to 14, And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Lawlessness is increased. Why is lawlessness increased in our society? First, why is laws... Humans need laws to restrain us. We are bad people. We don't believe we're bad people. But if you take away the rules, we'll be bad people. That's why you have rules. Don't believe it? Have a a 20-year experiment. First, have a baby. Second, don't give it any rules. Third, Watch what little monster you just raised. 
What, you know, when there's, when there's these, if there's a mob or a riot, what do people do besides mob and riot for whatever reason they're mobbing and rioting? What do they do? Well, since there's no cops around, since they can't stop us, they break the window and steal TVs. Don't say, well, those people do it. You do it too. If there's no rules, people need rules to restrain us. And one of the ways we're restrained is by believing there is a God. That's an automatic set of rules. There's someone watching. There's a right and wrong and someone cares. It's better to have the wrong God than to have no God. And we live in a world that nation after nation is saying there is no God. And that's how you know you're near the end. You remember the number 666 is not the number of Satan, it's the number of man. The end is a time where mankind is exalted. There is no God, there's just man. Well, that equals lawlessness. And people will behave very badly. They will kill their babies in their womb. We had a woman on the Golden Globes come up and say, the reason why I could win a Golden Globe is because women have the freedom to choose to not have their baby. I got this Golden Globe, which leads to the question of, so what you're saying is, if I kill my baby, I get a statue, and people applaud. That's insane. We need laws. (laughs) We need laws. Jesus is saying, look, at the end times, people are going to give up God completely. They're not even going to have false gods. They're going to go for no God. Gods they invent. And what will happen? Love grows cold. Because lawlessness makes us afraid. People are going to break in and steal my stuff. There's people in this room who have more bullets and beans in their basement than they need. Because they're afraid of lawlessness. <laughs> Could have some beans. But look, if it's the end, do you really want the last thing you do with Jesus is shoot a bunch of people because they want your beans? Give him your beans, starve to death, go to heaven, for goodness sake. <laughs> but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all, and the end will come. So when law, when law does not restrain, love grows cold. But the contrast is the one who endures to the end. Now, if you endure to the end, it means your love didn't grow cold. See the logic? Those who love. It's important now that we get in the practice of loving while things are still good. couple principles to remember, perhaps answer some questions that might come to your mind. One, the standard of love is to love as Jesus loved. In other words, you're not free to define love. The greatest love of all. Right. All this stuff. You can't define love. You're not allowed to define love. I'm not allowed. Jesus gave us a definition He says, I want you to follow this command. I want you to love. If he stopped there, you're kind of on your own. But he doesn't stop there. He says, love as I have loved you. Verse 12. Greater love has no one than he laid. So if if there is no greater love, (laughs) okay, Jesus had the greatest love of all, right? And, And it's not a song. It's really true. He is God. He took on flesh and he walked among us as the only perfect man who never sinned. And as one of us, he looked around and knew, no, knew, knowing, (laughs) at the time he knew, (laughs) every human on the planet was doomed. And he was the only one who could do anything about it, but it would cost him his life. Question, will he give it? He lived by this rule. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. So Jesus showed that, well, if, if, if I were going to go to hell and someone could save me, I'd want them to. Even if it cost them their life, yeah, I don't want to go to hell. So Jesus died on a cross for sinners. And that is the greatest act of love you can have. And then Jesus says to his followers, love, and then he says this, as. As means equal to how I loved you. God demonstrates his own love for us 
in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. There's a temptation that I fall prey to, you fall prey to, that we must always resist. And the temptation goes like this. We say to ourselves, well, I can't love perfectly like Jesus, so I won't try that hard, and he'll let it go because he died for me. Right? Someone (laughs) says, hey, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't hate that person because Jesus says don't. Well, I'm not Jesus. As if I'm not expected to really behave like him, am I? Yes, you are, or you're not going to have joy. I tell you these things that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Well, I don't want to love like you. That person hurt me. I love these people. They're nice to me. That person, uh uh-uh, I'm not Jesus. I don't have to do it. And you wonder why you have no joy. You disobeying God, that's why. Love is something we should always seek to grow in. I, I work on it all the time. And the more I work on loving others without question, the more peace is in my life. Second thing to point out, and I'm going to reword this a little bit because it needs a few more words so there's not misunderstanding. In your map, it is impossible, I'm going to say, to live a life pleasing to God. Instead of it's impossible to please God. Because that can be misunderstood. We please God through faith. We please God because Christ died for our sins. We don't earn our salvation. But then when we're saved, we want to live a life pleasing to God. And I'm saying it's impossible to live a life pleasing to God apart from growing in love for other believers. The daily work of the Christian life is to seek to love others, especially those of the faith. Yeah, we love everyone, but especially believers. Your doctrine can be perfect. Your do- oh, I've heard it said, you can't properly love God without proper doctrine. And then people say, therefore, work on your doctrine. You can do that and not have the joy of God. You can do it and not know God. Because if your doctrine, if you work on your doctrine until it's perfect, you've only made yourself equal with the devil. James says it. You say, Jesus is Lord, good for you. So is the devil. No, that's not sufficient. Your good deeds could be greater than all the rest of us. That only makes you equal to the proud do-gooders of this world. You're never going to do as many good deeds as Bill Gates. You ain't got his bread. Heck, it's hard to keep up with a Mormon. (laughs) Those boys come to your house, they'll say, hey, we want to visit you. Can we fix something around your house? (laughs) By the way, if Mormons come to your house and offer to fix something, let them. (laughs) What the heck? (laughs) Don't buy what they're peddling, but it's good to have a fence repaired, you know. You can do all the good deeds you want. Hey, I'm not making this stuff up. You, <laughs> if, if I have the perfect doctrine, but have not love. Does that remind you of anything? If I do all good deeds, but have not love. Does that remind you of anything? 1 John 420 also says this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. He who does not love his brother, and this is the believer. Okay, this is talking believers. I'm talking about your blood brother. You should love him too, but this is believers. He who, for he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. This is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. The commandment stays the same. The proof of your love for God is proof of... Look, if, 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 if you were to come up to me and tell me, I love you, Mike, but then you tell me, but I hate your son, Nick. Cannot stand him. He's a pig. He's disgusting. I don't like anything about him. I'm going to say, you don't love me. You, you can't love me if you hate what I love. Well, you say that to God? 
Say that to God. The church is to be an ever-growing family filled with messy Christians learning to love but growing in love. God is concerned with how you love. It's his number one concern in your life. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. What is it? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus requires these two. These two and nothing else. (laughs) Yeah, two. (laughs) We hear that and sometimes we can get it wrong and think, oh, he's saying, first love God, then love my neighbor. He's not saying that. You're missing it. Because that could give you the impression, I'm going to work on loving God. Well, I may not love you that much, but I love God. (laughs) As if you do one first and then the other. He's not saying that. He said, he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He could have stopped right there. It's the right answer. But he didn't want the questioner to think that was the full answer because it's not. He said, but wait a minute, wait a minute. There's another one. And it's like it. And he uses the word like. He doesn't say, and there's a second one. He says the second is like it. What's the word like mean? There's a sameness. The first is this, and there's a sameness to the next one. So you better put the two together, or you're not going to get the first one right. To love people is like loving God. How much like it? It's very like it. Now, you shouldn't confuse people with God, and God's first, obviously. But if you've got God first, it's going to look like loving people. I can't understand the nature of it. You get a glimpse of it in Matthew 25 when Jesus says, What you've done to the least of my brothers, you've done unto me. It's just a glimpse. I don't know how that works. But Jesus says, the way I love the least of the Christians is the way I love him. You follow? So think about that. If the way I love the least of the Christians is the way I love him, what if I don't love the least of the Christians? But my doctrine's right. Do I love him? Not, <laughs> it's a hard question. The way you love the least of these. What you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. The Christian life is growth in love and nothing else. It's growth in love and nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else. Everything else you do is subservient to loving God and loving one another. That's it. I memorize verses of the Bible. Why? Because I want the love of God in me. I want to love God and I want to love you. I want to get my doctrine right. Because the most loving thing, if I talk to someone, is I tell them the truth. I get it right. I want to not sin. Because <laughs> it hurts God, hurts me, and hurts you. Finally, love involves feelings, but it's stronger than feelings. This is very important we get this, because this is, I think, where we fail a lot in love. It's in the intellectual part of defining what love is. We think love is an automatic thing, okay? That's natural, to think love is automatic. What do I mean? Well, there's two ways you love people. One, you fall in love, right? I fell in love, woo! You know, I didn't know it was coming. It was like a hole, (laughs) Just, just walking, whoa, whoa, hey, hey, this is great. <laughs> it just happens to you. You fall in love with someone else, but I'm married to this one. Right? And then people leave the this one, because they fell, and then they fall in love with another one. Next thing you know, you got eight wives. 
The other way we think of love is you survey your heart. In other words, if I said to you, who do you, look at this person, you love him, you go, huh, yeah, I feel that, yeah, I love him. How about him? Yeah, I feel that. How about her? No, I'm not feeling it, don't love her. How about her? No. So it's already in you. You just survey your heart. Who do I love, who do I not love? Because it just happens to you. You don't choose to love someone, you just love them or you don't love them. That's how we look at it, and that's all wrong. That's all wrong. That's what fallen man does. That's not real love. That is not real love. Love involves feelings, but it's not led by them. Real love takes obedience. Real love always does what's best for you, even if it costs me, and enjoys that. Real love gets its joy doing what's best for you, even if it costs me. Right? That is not natural. <laughs> it's, it, it's only natural in some cases. Mom for a child. But even times, not even then. Real love takes obedience, effort, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Real love takes faith. Real love is the belief that God rewards all things so I can love you and not get payback from you. <laughs> right? We must be trained by God's word to love. That's why we read the Bible. We must be trained by God's word to know how great God is so we can love him. And we must be trained by God's word to see how he loves so we can copy him. And we have the Holy Spirit who will help us do this very thing. We need to learn to not love like the world loves or think like the world thinks. Love requires us to find our joy benefiting others no matter what it costs us. The wedding verse. Say this at a wedding because it's not true at a wedding. This verse is just about every wedding I do and it's not true at a single one of them. I say love is patient, love is kind and she's beautiful, he's handsome. And neither of them are patient or kind. Oh yeah, right now they are. But be driving down the road and go a speed she doesn't like and that kindness goes out the doggone window. Let's see just how patient he is. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Rejoice. Do you not see that these are things you do? It's not a feeling you have. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Why? For your benefit. If I love you, I live for you. Love requires self-examination. I'm going to have to, I'm not patient right now. How many of you say, well, I'm not very patient. And you let that go as if it's nothing. Well, love is patient. So if you're saying, well, I'm not patient, what you're saying is, I hate people and that's okay with me. That's what you're saying. Welcome to the world. We're all impatient. It's called a sin nature. But if I'm going to love you, I'm going to examine that and say, God, that has to die because I need to love these people. Love is not easily offended. Are you easily offended? Is it, are you sensitive? Is it easy to trigger you? Love is not resentful. Keeps no record of wrongs. Do you? Love can be hard work. <laughs> What's it bring? Joy. You see, love is not about your self-worth. We're always talking about our self-worth. If I love you, the last thing I'm concerned about is how much I'm worth. <laughs> That's, and this goes against everything you learn. <laughs> this goes against my search for significance, my self-esteem, and all this other crud. If I love you, the last thing I'm concerned about is my value. I'm concerned about your value. Now, how can I have the freedom to do that? Well, I can because Christ died for me. See, Christ loves me. I don't need to look for validation 
from you. <laughs> I want it. And it'd be kind if you gave it. Be loving of you to tell me I'm valuable. But if you don't, the Lord died for me. Listen, this is radical. But otherwise, you love like this. You love, 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 and then you think, then you keep score. You know, I do this. I love this person, and they're happy. But what about me? That's not Jesus' love. You know, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. I think people, we could trouble over that. What's it mean? It's, it can be hard to walk the Christian life, we think. I think we're missing what his burden is. His burden isn't living perfectly under the law. His burden is the path of joy. If you're going to be sane in this world, your number one concern is to be loving. And you're going to have to work at it. Because it's not going to be natural to your old nature. But Christ died for your old nature. And he's given you his Holy Spirit. My peace I live with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. That's what the master tells us. That's where joy and peace are going to come from. Joy and peace are going to come from that. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.